The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Appreciate that. Yes, send the light. Uh, you know, we were talking yesterday. I invite your attention to Mark, Mark 15 as well. Uh, we were talking yesterday about one of our missionaries. Someone had asked our, whether our missionaries got home safely back to their place uh, of, of serving, and they did, praise the Lord. Uh, but you remember one of those missionaries uh, actually preached here when the lights went out. Maybe you may recall that. It was July of 2016 or 17, and uh, the lights went out in the middle of service, and he preached without lights, and uh, uh, that missionary was joking with me over text this week that that's exactly how God would use it because half the time in the place they serve, they don't have lights. So God would use them to preach with no lights as they send the light out. It's kind of a funny story as you turn there. Uh, if you're watching us on Facebook, we're so glad to have you. Pray that you are blessed, and uh, uh, we are just blessed to be here. And I want to encourage you, we are down to two more sermons in the book of Mark. So, uh, you know what, uh, we will, well, I'll, I'll say it this way, we're down to two more from the text, we'll do a summary sermon uh, in, a, in a couple weeks as well, but we are getting close, guys, we're getting very close. Some of y'all have grayed since then, some of y'all have gotten really old since then, some of y'all are just still wondering if you're awake since then, and uh, God is good, but uh, Mark chapter 15. Uh, today's title of the sermon is, uh, How God Buried His Son. And this may seem like a, a, a text that is just easily passed over, and I think a lot of people do. It's lumped into a lot of other places, but I hope one thing we've taken from the book of Mark is that there's a lot more than just uh, lumping things together. The Word of God is so rich. But it reminds me of a young man who came to his boss one day and asked for the day off, and he told his boss that his grandmother had died, and his boss said, sure, you need to take the day off, no problem, go for it, it'll be just fine. The next day, the young man was talking to his boss, and the boss asked him a funny question. He said, do you believe in the resurrection from the dead? And the, and the young man who asked for the day off said, of course I do. Why, why wouldn't I? He said, that's really interesting because you know what? Yesterday, after you left work, your grandmother came to visit me. <laughs> How does that work? And he got red in the face and got a pink slip and got fired, as you can imagine from there. <laughs> You know, as we, as we talk about burials, there are, there are stories all over the place about burials. There's a story from Africa, you may recall from a few months ago, where this man was supposedly raised from the dead, although he had an oxygen hole and it was a big ploy. He got paid about $1,000 to act like he was dead, and then the preacher would pop him up to pretend like he was dead and back alive. There's all sorts of fake burials out there. But the burial we are talking about today is one that actually happened. It's one that really happened, and we don't talk about it a lot. We talk about the cross a lot, amen? Yes, we should. We talk about the resurrection a lot. We should. Even the ascension, Jesus returning to heaven, we talk about a lot, or at least more than the burial, but the burial, not so much. The New Testament actually draws our attention to the burial. In Matthew, 10 verses are spent on the burial alone. In Luke, six verses. In John, four. And here in Mark, our text today, are six verses about the burial of Jesus Christ. A total of 26 verses. And there's something here. 
And as you'll see up on the screen as Andy puts it up, it's a reminder what Paul wrote. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I received and passed unto you of that of first importance, that Christ died according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the burial of Jesus is a second major emphasis in the gospel alone. So why don't we spend more time on it? It's a great question. Because the burial tells us he actually died. It wasn't some swoon theory where Jesus looked like he died. He actually did die. And it actually was Jesus. And if he had not been buried, it would have been easy to argue that he didn't die. Maybe he only gave the appearance of dying. But this passage is like our death certificate. We see so clearly that Jesus is not only on the cross, but he's taken down from the cross. He's wrapped up in all the, the spices and things they did in those days and put into a tomb, only to bust out of it three days later because he is risen congregation. He is what? He is risen indeed. And all scripture is inspired in our lives. And you may be saying, Darren, I'm going through a lot of stuff. You want to talk about the burial of a dead guy? Yeah, I do. Because it's through that burial that we have the triumphant resurrection and the sealing of our faith. And that's what we're going to look at today. The big idea is very simple. When Jesus was buried in the tomb, it was only for a short weekend stay. It's that, it's that straightforward. Friends, if we miss this part, we miss part of the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus' story and it's our own. Romans 6 tells us this. It's the secret path to power. Every conversion is a burial of our old life, isn't it? And the resurrection is the, the, the process of our new life in Christ. The death is where our life implodes. The burial is where it gets worse. But in the resurrection is how God busts us out of the spiritual grave back to fellowship with him. And so in Christ, this burial is something because he really died. And since he really died, he really raised from the dead. So this morning, no matter what you're facing, I want to remind you, God has buried all of your sin in that grave that he came out of. He's buried it so far that you can't even plumb the depths of it. And so five aspects this morning, some faster than others, but I want to look at five aspects of God's plan of how he buried his son. I want you to see the precise timing this morning. I want you to see the prominent disciple, uh, Joseph of Arimathea. I want you to see the perplexed rules. I want you to see the proper burial. I want you to see once again, ladies, there's another uh, notch in your good belt, the persevering women. With that in mind, will you join us in standing for a reading of God's word from Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 47. And this is why Mark, again, writing to a Gentile audience, an audience that does not know the Lord, and he writes this in very detail because he wants them to know the burial actually happened it wasn't fake. The body wasn't switched. Jesus actually died, and this is what happened as a result. Verse 42. Hear God's word this morning. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked whether he was already dead. That's Jesus, of course. And when Pilate learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And verse 46, And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, 
and laid him in a tomb that he had been cut out of the rock, and he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Friends, this is that night, this is that time where all the world seems hopeless. But we praise God that even this morning we, we, we are here to resurrect the idea that Jesus is resurrected, and we celebrate that every Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. You don't have your Easter clothes on. Most of you all have your fall chief's colors on. That's all right. But he's busted out of the grave. But there had to be a time, prophesied time between, and we want to look at what that means for us today. Will you join me as we pray this morning? Father, as we come before you, we thank you that your son was in the grave only for a short weekend stay, fully uh, alive, fully capable of busting out, fully able to do so. But before the great triumph, there had to be a downslide. And Father, how often that is in our lives, that we hit rock bottom before we see all the things up that is true in your name. So Father, we pray this morning as we look at this passage, it seems so rote, so routine, but Father, we need to be reminded of your grace this morning. Thank you so much. We pray in Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, I want you to see, and I'm going to grab this other stool here. I want you to see this morning the precise timing, the precise timing. You'll, you'll note here as John, uh, excuse me, as Mark writes that this is the end of the day. The last couple weeks, we've been looking at the different times of the Jewish calendar. We saw that Jesus was started to be crucified at 9 a.m. during the, uh, the third hour. And then he was uh, literally taking on the wrath of God last week. He was literally taking on our sin last week from about noon until 3. And you remember that it got dark. You remember that, don't you? And, and it's appropriate that Meg played Send the Light for us during the offertory because it reminds us that this has been a very weird day. Matthew records that, that, that during that time, the dead bust out of the graves and the veil is torn. Mark tells us that the centurion said, truly this was the Son of God, and yet here we are again at the end of the day, the day of preparation, and God has told us this is coming. And this, you see that in verse 42, it says, this is when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation. This is the Sabbath day. This is the holy day of the Jewish calendar. This is the day where some have, have, have gone to extremes over the years, but the Jews, you couldn't move. You couldn't do anything. You had to have everything down and out of the way. And so during this day of preparation, this day of before the Sabbath, the Jews knew that body could not hang on that cross. And so this preparation you might be called Sabbath Eve. We have Christmas Eve, right? We're have a Christmas Eve service at 5 o'clock. Put that on your calendar. They had Sabbath Eve every week that it came to be. But the precise timing, why is this so important? Because no work could be done on the Sabbath. The burial had to take place now. It's one of those, it's one of those funerals that you had to do right away. But it's important because it shows us that he was actually died on the day he said he was going to die. Jesus was crucified on Friday, was put in the grave on Friday, and three days later raised from the dead on Sunday. And Andy will put this up there. But guys, we serve a very, very precise God. The time is literally down to the minute on these things. On these things. Now, for many of you, 
When your teacher told you, if you were a math, if you hated math as much as I did, they said, show your work. And you, well, in my generation, we just took out our calculator and said, boom, 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 boom. There's my work right there. It's all done. But if you're like many of you who grew up in that time where you had to write everything down and, and show the detail of how you got from here to there, it probably drove you nuts. Is there anyone who don't, anyone like that? Your boss says, do it this way. Your wife says, clean out this and do it with this detail. And if you don't do it to that detail, you've got to go back and do it again. Friends, our God is even eternally more precise than that. That at the very timing of everything, he wanted it to come forth. There's an old story about Richard Rogers, one of the early Puritans, who was riding along in a carriage one day with one of the local politicians, and the politician claimed to be a Christian, and he started using all these Christian words and all these Christian phrases, but, but Richard Rogers, the pastor, said, do you have any specifics in your life? And the man said, no, I don't like specifics, because that means I have to live specifically. And isn't that our world today? How many people do not like Christianity because it requires preciseness. Friends, but you serve a very precise God. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And at every precise moment, he carries out his word, his providence. And that should be great comfort to us. That God brings nothing in your life as he didn't bring it in his son's life until the time has come. And that's good news for you. You say, well, Darren, I've been praying about something for a long time, and it doesn't seem like the time is ever going to come for it to pass. Well, maybe not. God knows. But we can walk away from saying, if I had only done this or done that, I would have, I would have been okay. Friends, sometimes we leave our timing in God's timing because his timing is much more precise than ours. God, I want to pray for this person to come to Jesus, but they've got to come now. Lord, would you save them? And God may wait 20 years before that person comes to know Jesus Christ. You keep praying. A Muslim once asked, why did Jesus not die today when everyone could see him? I mean, why did he die 2,000 years ago? I mean, everyone has a smartphone these days. They could have taken a live Facebook live video. You know, the centurion would have been like, look, selfie mode. Truly, he is the son of God, you know, and done one of those things. Why did he do it that way? Well, we don't know, but he died for us precisely at the time, at the place, on the same day that it was supposed to happen. Friend, today, Psalm 90 reminds you that you are to number your days. To number your days. If you counted the cost of what it means to follow Christ, and all that considered, have you lived haphazardly lately? Have you counted the time? Have you wasted your time with God? You don't know the precise time He'll take you home, but you know the precise time He's given you. Be faithful with everything He's done. So it happens on the day of preparation, Sabbath Eve, and you go to verse 43. You see the prominent disciple, number two, the prominent disciple. And who is this man? Joseph of Arimathea is the man that we're looking at. It says Joseph of Arimathea was a respected member of the council. What council? Remember, this man was a believer, and he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was part of the leadership of Israel. We have a secret believer in the highest of highest places. Isn't that amazing? He was in charge to be important. He was from a town about 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It's like driving from here, yeah, probably up to like Holt or something, up I-35. And, and, and this is where the prophet Samuel came from. And, and Matthew tells us that Joseph was a rich man. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. And somehow, some way, this man had believed in Jesus. But he was secret about it. And yet, he was looking for the Messiah. 
He was like all the other Pharisees, but somehow John 19 tells us he was a secret disciple. Now, I want you to think about it for a while. If you are a secret disciple, can you really be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I mean, didn't Jesus say, if you're ashamed of me before men, then I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven? How can he be a secret disciple? This is his coming out party. If he went public with his faith, it's going to cost him a lot. It's going to cost him his job. And, and the Sanhedrin, the, 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 of which Joseph is a part, just killed Christ. What more could he do? And in the same as Nicodemus, do you remember that? Remember in John 3, Nicodemus came in the middle of the night? Do you remember that? So that he would not be found out? But this is when Joseph goes public with his faith, and I want you to see this. Look at verse 43. He's a respected member. You have all these qualifiers. There's, there's comma, he's a respected member. Who him, he, number two is looking for the kingdom of God, but then he took courage. I love this. Jesus, when you know him, you get courage you never had before. You do things for Jesus you would never do any other time because you know that he loves you unlike any other has ever loved you, right? And the Bible, let me be very clear first off, and Andy will put the first bullet up here. The Bible is not anti-rich. And all the Americans said, amen. But it emphatically, it emphatically, the Bible says, is anti-status quo when it comes to the way we view our money and view our possessions. Here was a man who had the richness. Look, can God use rich people to fund the kingdom of God? Oh, yes, he does all the time. He does it. There are people who are rich all over the place. I, you know, uh, Brother Derek, I was thinking about uh, Midwestern uh, the other day when I was going about this, and they just built their brand-new student center. And some guy from Oklahoma, Derek, uh, uh, put up the money for that, an old oil rigger, put up the $7 million to, to, to fund that, that, that student center down off North Oak across from Sam's Club. And here's a man who was called the ministry, who eventually went and made his money in oil, who gave it away for the kingdom of God, for young men and women to grow together in fellowship. Friends, rich is not the problem. It's the way we handle our richness. And Joseph was coming out. I mean, think about the Bible. Think about how many rich people are in the Bible. Abraham, Moses, Barnabas, Nicodemus, the mother of John Mark, Lydia, Acts 16. They were rich on earth and rich in heaven. But he was a secret disciple. He was a secret disciple. And many, John 12 tells us, even of the rulers believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for being fear of being thrown out of the synagogue. Here was Joseph, a rich man, ready to bust out, and here he comes. And this is the second point I want to make, and Andy, you can go ahead and put it up. Friends, we need applause like we need chocolate. It's nice, but it's not oxygen. Seek God's kingdom first. Joseph had to make a choice. He had to make a choice about what he was going to do. And in God's precise timing, this prominent disciple decided that he was going to take courage and step out there for Jesus. Can you imagine that scene? There's a couple things about this. You note there in verse 43 that he has access, Joseph does, to Pilate. That tells us he's very influential. Second thing is, Pilate actually listens to him. So he is spoken of well by the people. So here's a man laying everything on the line for Jesus just to go bury him properly. And what do we give for Jesus? Friends, that's a question we have to ask. Are we willing to put everything on the line for Jesus Christ? When someone asks you, hey, are you one of those Christians? Are you willing to say, I'm with him? 
if some of your family members were getting ready for holidays in like the next six to eight weeks, isn't that crazy to think about? When we have those conversations around the table is, hey, what's going on at church? What have you been studying? And you're going to be like, hallelujah, we finished Mark. <laughs> but one thing you can identify with is that you don't need the applause of people. <laughs> applause is so fleeting. So fleeting, isn't it? One day they'll applaud you, the next they'll hate you. Said every quarterback of every Kansas City Chiefs team not to win the Super Bowl since 1969. <laughs> or whatever year it was. John's giving me that look, so I'm 68, 69, my Chiefs fan over there. Friends, but Joseph had to take courage. That word literally means he had to well up inside him the nerve and the gall to stand up and do what he needed to do to get out there for Jesus. And let me tell you, when you're witnessing, you have to do this sometimes. You have to say, you know what? I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what people think about me. I'm going to tell this person about Jesus Christ. You have to take courage. You have to be bold. You have to step out there. There is no easy way to serve Jesus Christ if you're to serve him faithfully. It's going to cost you, and it's going to cost you a lot. And for Joseph, it would cost him everything that we knew. Now, let me just say a word about him. You know, if you go home and you say, man, Joseph of Arimathea, who is this guy? Man, there are stories like he went to Greenland, and he went to Iceland, and he was all over the place. We don't really know. This is what we have. All we know is that he took courage first. And this should inspire us, guys. How awesome is this? It, every one of us should want to be like this. Is this in our hearts? With the ball in your hands, with two seconds left on the clock, spiritually speaking, are you willing to take that shot for Jesus Christ if that opportunity is allowed? Well, Darren, what if I miss? Well, you know what? That's all right. God's grace propels you, but at least you've tried to be faithful. That's all you can do. So there it is. And we go on. And again, this man was respected. He gathered up the courage. He, he needed to be made public. Now, let me ask you, was he in sin? Was he in sin for not coming publicly? Yes and no. It was at this moment in God's precise time that he came forward, but he went to Pilate. And, and he went there. And I think this is what Jonathan Edwards, the great American preacher of many hundreds of years gone by, said. He said, true boldness enables us to forsake all rather than Christ and to prefer to offend all rather than to offend him. Let me read that again. True boldness, biblical boldness, enables us to forsake all rather than Christ and to prefer to offend all rather than to offend him. It's kind of like, in a very simplistic way, guys, when your buddies come up to you and say, hey, let's go out tonight, but you promised your wife you'd take them on a date, and you know that if you say yes to your buddies, you're going to be in the doghouse for a really, really long time. Do you see what I'm saying? In a much greater way, in a much more spiritual way, Edwards is, is hitting on his prominent disciple knew that matters of obedience were more important than matters of keeping the status quo. Friends, we all need to have this boldness about us. We all need to have the boldness to go up and do this. So let's see Pilate's reaction. Let's look at number three. Uh, I can put that quote out later for you, those taking notes if you need it. Number three, the perplexed rules or rulers, it should say. But I want you to see what happened to Pilate. And Pilate comes here in verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that he had already died. Because why? Usually these, these prisoners, these criminals, stay on these trees for days on end. They hold out somehow with all the will they have. But Pilate was amazed. He wondered. He said, what if? 
And it's the same words used when Jesus marveled at the faith of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. It's the same words used in Luke where the Pharisee got mad at Jesus. He couldn't believe he didn't wash his hands. It's amazing. How could this be? How could he be dead? Friend, we know that Jesus had been through the ringer, hadn't he? He'd been through the ringer so much that he had died so quickly. And friends, this is all that we have. We have the reality that Jesus actually died. But would you know there's so many people who don't believe that? Because guess what? If he didn't die, then there's no reason to bring up a resurrection story. Friends, if, they, if he didn't die, why didn't they just produce the body? Why didn't they just say, hey, this other guy over here, he's actually Jesus. It's like that old, you know, uh, Billy the Kid. Uh, there are people walking around uh, in the 1950s. You know that story, don't you? Billy the Kid was a young gunslinger from the Western years. Some of y'all who like your Western history. And, and people think he really didn't actually die, that they put another body in the casket. There was a guy in the 50s who was about 100 years old by then who said, yeah, I'm Billy the Kid. Found out he was lying through his teeth like everybody else. Just like there's Elvis impersonators running around all the time. Friends, the Bible is very clear here, and it records Pilate's reaction because it wants to get your reaction straight and right that he actually did die. Pilate was amazed. How could this be? So did you see what he did from there? He summoned or he called in his captor, his, his, his captain of the captor. And so he summons, he calls, he beckons. It's the same words used in, in Mark 3 where Jesus summoned the disciples unto himself, those he chose. He summons the centurion and he asks whether he was already dead. You remember this centurion? Look back up. Do you rem- I, I mentioned some of it. Do you remember it? Go back up to verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw in this way, he breathed his last. He said, truly, this was the Son of God. So not only do you have the centurion coming to Christ, you have a prominent ruler coming to Christ, and yet again, Pilate is accosted with the truth that this man is different than everything. And in verse 45, it says, And when Pilate learned from the centurion he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Friend, he granted the corpse. He gave his permission. You remember in the Old Testament, it was illegal for a body to hang on the tree dead. That was against the Jewish law. They couldn't do that. You can find it in Deuteronomy 20 and 21. But what we know is that this is the only instance where that word you see that word there? It says, the, it says the corpse. It might even say in your scripture in verse 45, he granted the corpse to Joseph. He literally granted the dead body is what the Greek reads. Make no mistake about it. The Bible is clear. Jesus actually died. And you say, Darren, we know that. Duh. We got that. But friends, would you realize, go search it. Go Google it. Did, type in your phone. Did Jesus actually die? And read the articles that are out there from scholarly people around universities today. They will deny it to the hilt. It's crazy. Friends, he actually died. Because without dying, we have no salvation. And Andy will put this up. But from day one, all that was needed to destroy Christianity was to produce the dead body of Jesus Christ. Christianity would have died a long time ago. You might be, I don't know what religion you might be if that had happened. You might not even be here because we would have had no need to send 
uh, religious people to America, we may never have been here. But from day one, all that was needed was to produce that dead body. And friends, that dead body was entrusted to Joseph, the secret disciple busted out to come forth to share it. Look, you want to prove that Jesus actually died? Ask him, where's the body? They put Roman guards on it. They paid off the Roman guards. They did everything they could, and they could never produce the body because guess what? Jesus is not owned by the state. Jesus is part of his heavenly Father, perfectly in unison with the Father and the Spirit, the God three in one. All right, the proper burial. Let's go to verse uh, 46, number four, the proper burial. And I want you to see this. I love the heart of this man. Look at what Joseph does for Jesus. And, and Joseph, that's Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man who came out uh, to, to, to be a disciple, bought a linen shroud. Let me just stop right there. There is a linen shroud around. You all have seen this before. There are pictures out there that supposedly that they, they, they pulled that thing so tight and they would put that thing so tight over the face of the, of the deceased that it made an imprint that supposedly the face of Jesus is walking around somewhere Guys, come on. Really? Uh, that's called a uh, carnival sideshow, right? That didn't actually happen. The linen shroud does not have any more power than my Kleenex right here has power that I blew my nose in. Do you want this too? Don't believe in the relics and the junk that's out there. The linen shroud is probably from 11th century uh, uh, time when they went out crusading. has nothing, nothing to do with the Gospels. We made all these things. We made pilgrimages. We made praying to the saints. We made all these things because we forgot who Jesus was. When you lose Jesus, you get distracted by things that seem like Jesus. And you know what? Jesus is enough. Amen? And he is enough. So he wraps around the linen shroud. Now, now what this means is he probably had servants. And what they would do is they would wrap around, we know from other scriptures, about 100 pounds, 75 to 100 pounds of spices. Now, that's a lot of spice because that body's going to stink, right? Body's going to stink. You remember Lazarus in John 11? They said, don't open that tomb. He stinketh. I love the King James there. It says he stinketh because that's what it means. And he laid him in a tomb. Now, this tomb was one that was cut freshly from the, the ground. It was Joseph's personal tomb. It had never been used before. And, and they turned it in, and they would go under, uh, probably at, at almost like Hobbit, uh, Lord of the Rings-style hype. They would take the body in and put it on a shelf. And he was the only one that was there, freshly cut. Joseph's power, Joseph's prominence, Joseph's everything was brought to this time. And they turned it into a small room. And I want you to notice something. Who rolled the stone over Jesus' grave? Was it the Roman soldiers? Was it the disciples? No. Look very clearly there at verse 46. Who rolled it? It was Joseph. Joseph rolled the stone. Now, maybe his servants helped him. I'm sure there was some help. But, but he was there. And he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Again, note the detail here. Mark is a historian. He's not putting these details in just for extra flair. He's putting them in to show us that he is dead. It is done. There's a trusted voice here. And friends, he rolled the stone because he rolled it over because he now loved this Lord that he had once hated Joseph. And he gave up his money for the preparation of the tomb. And how much more should we do for our risen Savior? And Andy will put this up. How much more?
do we do for our risen Savior? We will never regret one sacrifice in the name of Jesus. We will never regret anything about how much we held back from serving Jesus. Joseph gave his all. He gave his status. He gave his prominence. He gave everything that he had for this man, Jesus, who he barely knew, but he loved so much. Friend, I pray that our church is willing to do that as well. That no matter what the cost for you, whether that be financial, whether that be energy, whether that be whatever, that you serve wherever God has called you to serve. And thank you so much for being so faithful to do that. But we will never regret one sacrifice done in Jesus' name. Our only regret is how much we've held back and how little we've lived for him. Last thing is this. We'll close with this. Uh, ladies, I love this. And I want, uh, before we even get there, I want to remind you, ladies, you were the first ones to the tomb. You were the last ones hanging out at the cross, and you were the most detailed witnesses there were outside of the disciples themselves. Ladies, thank you for being faithful when men were not faithful. Amen? I want you to see number five, the persevering women. The persevering women. These five aspects of the burial. He says in verse 47, he says, Mary Magdalene was there. He says also that the Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. They were watching all of this. So Joseph of Arimathea couldn't hide. He went before Pilate. He went before these disciples of Jesus. Now Joseph's in the public eye, but even behind the scenes, these two ladies. Remember, Mary Magdalene, of course, was the one that Jesus was, drove seven demons out of. She was the one who lived a life of sin but had been forgiven. And all sin must be forgiven, and the great gift of forgiveness should motivate us to come and serve Christ wherever we are. You know, uh, there are times in our lives where we don't like, uh, we don't like this because we, we don't like that, 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 you know, where are the men here? Men, I, I read some commentaries about this, and, they, and they, they said, where are the men? You know, I praise God for the ladies of this church. Ladies, thank you. I said this last week to some degree. Thank you for being faithful. Because us guys, sometimes we just miss the boat. We just do. We just completely miss the boat. That's not the point of the passage here, but I want to just take a side trip to say thank you, ladies, for being persevering. You don't note any men in here, do you? You don't see the father of Joseph. You see the mother of Joseph. You don't see Mark Magdalene. You see Mary Magdalene. These are women who persevered. Ladies, thank you for your faithfulness. Ladies, and I, and I think we owe you an apology to some degree. We, we have misled you at times as men in leading you spiritually as we should because we have not stepped up to the plate as God has called us to. But ladies, it's your faithfulness that has kept this church going in many times and in many places around the world. Thank you so much. Why did God put them there at that place? I don't know. But God used ladies to bring forth this. And, and you know this well. Ladies, this would have been blasphemous to write about. You don't, you don't put ladies in the story back in those days because, well, ladies, you were, I'm not going to repeat my mistake last week if you were here. <laughs> but ladies, you weren't supposed to be of any significance. You were supposed to bear children. You were supposed to stay at home. You were supposed to be just uh, another object of, of, of life. But God saw fit to use these ladies in the life of our Savior. God saw fit to use a secret disciple in the life of our Savior. God saw fit to see people you never would have counted on to be the most faithful people around. There's some truth for us as well. 
that even when it looks like things aren't moving the way we want to see them moving, God is working in people's lives and using them in ways we may not see or understand. And ladies, thank you for doing that. May our prayer be, and I'll close with this, may our prayer be simply this. Father, keep us faithful in the good times, secure in our faith during the bad times, for you're with us at all times. These ladies stuck their neck out to follow Joseph to get the exact precise location of where that tomb was. Because three days later, who were the first ones? It was the ladies showing up to rock out to the truth that Jesus was going to bust out from the grave. Friends, the faith that you see in this burial is one of stepping out. And you today, you may be here, and your faith may be as stagnant as, as, as that pond water uh, down the road is stagnant this time of year. It doesn't move too much. Your faith may be as, as, as washed up you feel. Friend, let me just tell you, would you go this week and say, Lord, who is it that I can speak to about Jesus? Who is it that I can step out and say, you know, I'm on Team Jesus this week? It may not be a full-on gospel presentation, but Jesus, who is it that I can talk to you about? These ladies should convict us. We thank God for male leadership in the church, but these women kept the ministry going. These two women should challenge every man here today that we need to get up on our game. And, 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 and friends, we can't all stand in the pulpit, but if I need to be encouraged 19 out of 20 times, you know where that encouragement comes from? It comes from you ladies of this church. Thank you for your faithfulness. But whether you're a man or a woman here today, I want you to know, Friday's here, but Sunday's a coming, and he's coming back. Let's pray together as we close out today. Father, as we come before you and we thank you for this day, we, we do pray, Lord, that you are glorified in all ways, in all shapes, and in all forms. Father, we know that you are worthy to be praised, and because you're worthy to be praised, there's nothing else we can give. Father, I pray for our church. I pray that you call us out to public ministry, wherever that is, whether that's formal or informal. Father, I pray you call us out of being secret disciples to being faithful to you, even if it costs us as it did Joseph. Father, I pray for the ladies of our group especially, that, that, 